1: Today's podcast is sponsored by June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game which transports you into a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance set in the glamorous 1920s. You'll play as June Parker as she embarks on a quest to solve her sister's murder. But that's not all. You'll let your imagination run wild as you get to customize your own luxurious estate island with expensive gardens and beautiful buildings. So, can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
2: Someplace underneath. Yeah, let's start it as a ghost story. Oh, welcome to Alaska. Oh, no. (laughs) It's cold. I think that is on their sign. Welcome to Alaska. Oh, no. (laughs) It's Uh, just howling wind. Just kidding, Alaska. I've seen photos of, I've never been there, but there's beautiful parts of Alaska. I bet it's beautiful with the, you know,
3: when you get some greenery, but the snow, like any times it snows that much, like you go blind because
2: the sun goes Cow cow from it. Also, uh, I believe it's Alaska where they only get there's certain times a year where they don't get sunlight for more than a couple hours. And I think it kicks up the suicide rate really hard. Yeah. I think
3: there was a movie, a vampire movie about that 30 days a night it was pretty rock and roll.
2: I think I saw that or maybe I read it. I don't know. Something. I don't know. There's so many vampire movies. But getting to Alaska, you go through Canada. And you go through this little thing, British Columbia? That's correct.
3: Yay! Wow,
2: good job. Welcome, (laughs) welcome, everybody, to Someplace Underneath. I'm Natalie Jean, and joining me is Amber Nelson, while she lets me scream at her face about horrible, horrible things. You've done lots of research on this, and I'm just glad to sort of be like your, your bouncy bag. I like to hear your thoughts, because you're smart and we have a lot in common we're friends but sometimes your perspective is just different enough from mine that I'm like okay I can pull back from whatever like confident like I'm screaming this very very forceful thing that maybe uh maybe I'm wrong sometimes (laughs) maybe I'm wrong you never know it takes two to tango um it
3: does I was driving to the Grand Canyon and people were like, don't go there. People go missing all the time. And I was like, whatever. It's just like a quick little bloop. There's the Grand Canyon. But I was driving through it and it was just these endless trees,
2: that haunted forests, miles yeah. and miles. And I was like, this is where people go missing. I see. Yeah. And that's why we're we're talking about this subject today. Even though America gets all the credit for all the missing women. Canada can get off their high horse because they've got a big problem. Oh yeah? Oh yeah, especially in this area that's known as the Highway of Tears, which is what we're talking about today, which is on the west side of Canada in BC. By the ocean. British Columbia, yes off right right upon the ocean
3: oh so describe like i'm driving through here is it cold is it dreary
2: is it gray skies and trees and ocean it is it's mostly okay so amber you grew up well you grew up in saudi arabia and then you lived in the south Mm -hmm. i know that you lived in smaller towns did you grow up in an area where you could drive for a long time on like one single road Yeah there was nowhere to turn off and also no people
3: yes and no like yeah no people no road signs no speed limit yeah
2: yeah. so this is sort of along the lines of what the Highway of Tears is Mm. it's Highway 16
3: I've always because I tell people I live in the big city and you know I just say I live in a city and my country friends like you live in the big city that's scary
2: I could never go live in the and I'm like I'm scared where you guys live no, no yeah, no fucking way am I living there yeah I probably end up saying this on almost every episode we do because there's going to be so many about forests but they're much more terrifying to me than the city, the there's city. bears and rapists in there yeah? yeah there's tons of bears and rapists in the city probably but there's always other people around mm. you know I don't know if there's the bears but there's definitely rapists yeah. in the city and if you're in the city you're probably walking by a raper all the time you know but there's also 12 other normal people to see it happening to see it and then so the raper can't do the things mm-hmm. but if you're on the forest nobody sees nobody, nobody sees nobody hears Ugh. and and this is a huge sincere problem specifically up in this area and there are a number of reasons why which we'll get into but this one stretch of highway 16 it starts at Prince Rupert, which is the port side, it goes onto the ocean. And then you travel east to Prince George and everything in between there is sort of this hot spot for uh, really shitty things. And
3: that's like, um, it looks like there's some mountains going
2: through there. Yes. You kind of get it all. You get some forest, you get some mountains, you get some ocean. Yeah, so with this place, I really want to go visit it, but I did travel down, I went on Google Maps That doesn't make sense. I took a journey on Google Maps Mm -hmm. and just kind of drove via Google Maps down the roads. And it does really remind me of where my grandmother and some of my family live up in northern Michigan, where it's really beautiful, but desolate and Mm. very poverty ridden. There's no jobs. No, there's not. And there's some other systemic issues that we're going to talk about that caused a lot of that problem you know there's not a lot of money there's not a lot of resources and there's a lot of truckers and stuff who drive through and uh, look i'm not saying all the truckers are the problem
3: yeah my dad was a trucker for a while he's fine legitimate guy but it's also a career if you want to be left alone or maybe murder people and go to the next state and you're fine exactly
2: if you want to do that being a trucker helps sometimes. Um, so there's a lot of vlogging and whatnot going on up there. So people kind of pass through. It's like a way station, a lot of these areas in this uh, highway. And, um, you know, Kissel's dad, too, he was a trucker. And all he did was make Kissel hold aborted fetus posters. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, it's fine. So let me just explain, because I need visualization a lot, to really like get where this is. You have the West Coast of America, and then you have the arm of Alaska. It's sort of like jutting out if you're looking at a map. Mm-hmm. So this area, it would be sort of like in the armpit of that. And yes. that is just anatomical. I am not saying it's an armpit. Yeah. But it like would be the armpit. So I imagine wind gets up in there and swirls around and can't escape. Like it seems very windy. Um, I I would imagine... I would imagine it's pretty windy. It looks like it would be. And it is sort of in that spot. So Alaska, which by the way when I'm like looking at these things, I'm so used to our the maps that we get in, you know, elementary school geography that shows Alaska just floating off to the side of our country. But it's connected, right? It well, it's in between. So it's the west coast of America and then it's a big stretch of Canada and then Alaska is above it as the arm sticking out. So The armpit is the Canadian part. (laughs) Again, armpits are very important. Mm -hmm. They expel toxins. I would imagine the toxins come from America and Canada expels them out of the armpit area. There you go. So the Alaska part, Alaska's fucking huge. It's huge. It's bigger than Texas, It's bigger than, I think it must be landmass-wise, bigger than half the, I mean, it's like the size of half the country. It's really crazy. And like 10 people live there. Yeah, it's just mostly I think barren mm-hmm. um, or I don't know probably, I snow, there's snow there. <laughs> there's snow and there's mountains. There's probably like indigenous people from there, absolutely. There are. <laughs> That's one of the things that we will talk about. This is a lot of um, unfortunately this is a very big problem within the indigenous community especially with indigenous women. Um, this area of the Highway of Tears is largely uh, a lot of the, the problems that they face are directly focused at the indigenous women there. And it sucks.
3: Yeah, they just take them and like, no one cares. No one cares enough to go look for them or
2: where are you gonna go find them? This just stretches a forest forever. Yeah, yeah. So there is a huge, huge, disproportionate number of missing and murdered indigenous women on this stretch. So I just wanna name off a few of the missing people. Tracy Clifton, Mm. Helen Claire Frost, Jean Virginia Ginny Sampar, Doreen Jack and her two children, Mm. Cecilia Ann Nickel, her cousin Delphine Nickel. Mm. They also have a female relative who was murdered. Uh, Lana Derrick, Wendy Ann Twiss-Rate, Nicole Hoare, Margaret Newski, Mary Madeline George, Tamara Lynn Chipman, Beverly Warbrick. Bonnie Marie Joseph. These sound like nice ladies. Yeah. Madison Maddie Geraldine Scott. Immaculate Mackie Mary Basil. Anita Florence Thorne. Francis Brown. Cynthia Martin. Laureen Campbell Fabian. Oh,
3: how are you going to murder somebody named Bonnie? You or, know what I mean? She didn't have nothing coming to her. Or Laureen. Yeah, or Immaculate
2: but Mackie Mary. These specifically are missing cases. So those all are women who are currently unaccounted for. They could still be alive. So they—that that is exactly it. And this entire show is based around missing people instead of the victims who have been murdered, specifically because I feel like sometimes the missing people get lost in the storyline of the m- murder victim because people like to have a button on the end of a story. And that's not to be shitty. I'm not saying that in a way that people are being cold when they hear these cases. Yeah. But there's people have to have a way to process this kind of horrible information. And so sometimes if there's no closure, those stories kind of go by the wayside. And I just always put myself in the place of what if you didn't know or somebody you loved desperately was, you didn't know if they were suffering, they didn't know if they were in pain, if they needed help, if they were happy, if they were still around. Yeah, because they might be in human trafficking, and there's a lot of human trafficking going on. Or just dealing with, like, terrible mental illness and, you know, ending up homeless from that. And just how would you ever live a day with any sense of joy or peace? Yeah, because they could be out there being like, I hope someone says my name and maybe finds me. Right. So... That's specifically why we're doing this on the show, and those names that I just listed are all missing. Mm. So even though the murdered victims are incredibly important and we don't want to forget them, we're going to focus, as always, on the missing people. This is an astoundingly large number of cases for the population in this area. It's really small. There's only towns on Highway 16 in that area. The population, in fact, is so small that multiple people on that list are related to each other. You, you saw there were a couple people with the same last name, but even some of the people with separate last names are cousins.
3: Yeah. And you could say like, well, just move. But if you're in this area, your whole bloodline is in that area. Your cousin,
2: your mom, your uncle, everything you know is there and you're too poor. It, well, that's uh, yeah, that's a huge part of it, too, is the poverty level is just it's just ravaging yeah, the area they don't even have cars they hitch your ride with people right a lot, a lot of them do and that is one of the issues we'll, we'll come across here in general indigenous women are six to ten times more likely to be murdered okay so british columbia itself is basically like the size of california and nevada but it has like if you combine those two it has a much smaller population than those two states so there's five million people in british columbia and if you take that same land number with California, and Nevada, that we have 40 million people. So it's 5 million to 40 million in the same mm-hmm. amount ish kind of space. So, like, way bigger landmass and way yeah. fewer people. Yeah. So it's still, you know, of course, there's still towns. It's not just people spread out through British Columbia, it's like mm-hmm. these little pockets and then huge amounts of forest that we haven't destroyed yet. Which maybe we should, because it seems like it's <laughs> just a problem. Bulldoze it and Let's find just a few bodies. Fucking make some malls in between there. No, I'm kidding, but am I? A job. Um, yeah, put one mall in like you go work at T J Maxx, I go work at Marshalls. It would be nice. Something. So yeah, so for reference here on this part of the highway, the biggest town is Prince George, which has about eighty six thousand people, which is really fucking small. Mm, how many eighty six thousand? That's like Greenpoint, yeah. Basically, I mean, I don't even. I think it's probably Greenpoint's probably more than that, more than eighty six thousand. I I bet. Yeah. According to recent data, there are forty unresolved missing person cases in that area, with about twenty two of those being on the specifically Highway of Tears, Highway sixteen. So that is not good. No. We'll probably revisit this topic again, focusing on very specific cases, but this. Entire area is so vast and it's so underreported. It's not been completely unreported, but that I just really wanted to talk about the place as a whole and the people who are having to deal with this. And then we can kind of go into a couple of the cases. What's
3: the community like? What's it feel like? What's it look like?
2: Yeah. What's it smell like? What's it smell like? I want to know about the (laughs) smells in all of these places. It
3: probably stinks. I mean, if nobody's around, would you want to take a shower?
2: No. But I bet the tre- you just like rub yourself on some trees. Yeah, that's the trees it. smell nice.
3: Um I still put makeup on even when I'm by myself quarantining, because I don't oh, yeah. like to look in the mirror and then look like <laughs> that's garbage. Not good. Yeah. No, look in the mirror, you're beautiful. No, I mean like I don't want to feel like garbage and look in the mirror and be like, Oh, oh I see.
2: I know. like putting makeup on. I think it's fun. I
3: like it, it's for me. It's that's why you for should me. do
2: it, you know, if you like makeup. If you don't like makeup, don't fucking wear it. But I think it's fun as hell. And it makes yeah. me feel brighter.
3: Yeah. You're wearing orange eye makeup. It yeah. looks very cool on you. Thank you. <laughs>
2: so I'm wearing basically like pajamas and really heavy makeup, which is how I roll a lot, of, a look. A lot of these days now. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, even though I'm saying there's 40 unresolved missing person cases, it's probably a lot higher. We don't really have a full number. We probably never will. There's probably some people who are never recorded that are born and raised. they are
3: teenagers
2: in British Columbia and they're not even in the system. Yeah. And within the indigenous communities, too, there's a really big distrust of authority figures. And so they don't always go to them. No. But there's reasons for that. It's not just because they don't like cops. It's because they have a history with what's happened to them. So I want to just give a quick shout out to the book Highway of Tears by Jessica McDiarmid. And then there's a CDC podcast on their network. That is called Finding Cleo, which has a lot of great uh, info. And then there's the documentaries, Highway of Tears and Finding Dawn, are really good uh, information sources. Okay. And really interesting. I've On been to uh, it. The Highway of Tears, there's a really great, saucy woman who's talking through the whole thing. and just doesn't have any more time for people's bullshit. And I love her. Again, this most direct way to understand is the obvious barren landscapes with a highway cutting through them. It's beautiful and it's. I'm glad we haven't destroyed all of our natural resources, but it really helps aid creeps who want to find victims. They can just go dump a body and like, who's gonna go stop them? Who's even gonna half the time know? You know, it's, they're so desolate. They're so isolated up there. It's just easy to do. Not telling you it's too easy. Like I'm not suggesting to people just just so we're clear here. I'm not going like, this is the spot guys. No, this is, uh, it's getting more and more attention, which is great. But I want to continue that on and like talk about what we can do for solutions. That's a generality, however. So here we see that indigenous women are at an incredibly high risk of being taken. And if you kind of reverse engineer why that happened, which is how I like to think about things so that I don't go insane with like rage. Yeah. um, You kind of have to go back in time and go, why is this happening? And you're not going to believe this their land was taken from
3: them and their last names and their culture and everything
2: yeah you did guess it, yeah, right yeah uh, systemic racism <laughs> so it's tragic even though it's probably not a shock but it links all the way back to when the first european settlers came to this part of the world and it's really crazy how directly connected it is and you forget really that wasn't very long ago in the grand scheme of things it was no. pretty recent we've only been around here for a few hundred years that's So the attempts to assimilate indigenous people were already, you know, that was from the get-go, basically. There were people, the original people, the First Nations people, they were in that area of British Columbia, predating like the Egyptians, Israel, all of those things, you know. they has um, been chilling in this cold-ass area and they could deal with it, they could acclimate with it. Yeah, and it was just where they've always been since humans had conscious thought, really. They had pretty much set up shop in what is now Western Canada around 1000 BC, as in they had communities, they had trade roads, they had a whole network. So now we call these people First Nations and also included as indigenous people are Métis and Inuits. So people kind of use like a blanket statement for these different groups, but the Métis and the Inuits are different from one another. And I'm gonna probably accidentally refer to the wrong group of people at a certain time, but I definitely not doing it on purpose. So the Inuits, maybe you would be familiar with them, the ones who would be in the most cold areas and like in the full furs and everything. Yeah.
3: With the, uh, like, an ice house? Yes. What do you call
2: it? Igloo? I don't know if we call them igloos. Uh, my no ignorance word. is showing there. But because we use words that ended up being very offensive to them and you didn't even know growing oh, up. like the E word. Yes. You should be saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I don't want to ever um, accidentally do something like that. So I'm going to keep it, like, pretty surface level with some of it because I, <laughs> if I act like I have full knowledge of this, um, I will sound like a dick.
3: Yeah. No, we don't. We're just discovering and we're, you know, this is bringing a little bit of light to all these missing people.
2: Yeah. So there are 634 recognized First Nation governments or bands spread across Canada, and roughly half of those are in the provinces of Ontario and British Columbia. So basically the hugest numbers of these groups of people are in B.C. So way back when Europeans were making settlements in the 17th century, they kind of live more harmoniously than the people who settled in the US, which is like such a Canadian cliche, but they had fewer- Problems They with They the kind of like lived with them side by side and kind of, they had almost a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. However, it didn't prevent them from trying to urify the native people. And as far back as the 1600s, missionaries would attempt to fix the indigenous people, quote unquote. And it wasn't like 1600s, quote unquote, fix was like beatings.
3: Yeah. Slashings. I mean, yeah, it's it's a totally different culture than what it is today. Like you look at the furniture, it's all very stiff and rigid. There's no lazy boys. Yeah,
2: no, they were miserable. And it's weird that they wanted so desperately to make other people like them because they seem so Unhappy. Well, it was it was a
3: lot of um. I'm suffering in this world, so when I die, I can be released yes. and be happy.
2: Yeah. So the more suffering I have in this world, the happier I will be in the next. Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely the case. Uh, the Old Testament shit, and you know maybe they had good intentions, or maybe at least some of them had good intentions. But what they did was bring with them a bunch of diseases mm. that the indigenous people had not built uh, a tolerance against so basically when they came to fix them quote unquote they just killed a bunch of them immediately yeah. and they couldn't get a stronghold on the people because the people were like thanks we already have stuff here so they backed off and instead of they just kind of lived with them and they benefited from fur and goods trading and mm-hmm. they both sides were kind of okay with it for a time then again in the 1820s they gave it the good old college try to control the indigenous population. And that is when we get into the creation of what is known as residential schools.
3: Oh, right, where they would just take the kids and be like, all right, little girls, like no more of your what you wear every day, you wear a frilly gown.
2: Yeah, they really did really just want them in frilly gowns for sure. They wanted them to be in more European looking things. They wanted them to be more spiritual in a European way. They didn't want them to speak their own languages anymore. And so the way they did it was they legit just kind of took the kids and put them on transportation and sent them off to like on a train very mm. scary so many of the these schools only lasted for a decade or two because they were so like bad it's but, so horrible yeah but some of the bigger ones persisted all the way up until the 1970s that's a
3: that's really long time to it's, keep doing that that's you would think that this was over a long time ago
2: yeah like our parents were alive and Mine were, like, young adults at that time. Yeah, and they were just taking Native people to the land and being, like, enough of yours. Yeah, and then by the 1970s, it was a little bit less insane, but still really bad. So, unsurprisingly, a bunch of kids who are forced out of their communities and left into the hands of adults who wanted to control them were severely abused, Mm. including rape, beatings. They often had their heads shaved. Boys were given forced circumcisions. Mm. Imprisonment for days in the dark as punishment, sometimes experimental. On, fed rotting or barely edible food, and there was nothing but religious abuse. Mm. So they were forcibly stripped of anything that had to do with their people's spiritualism and had Christianity and colonialism thrust upon them, and they had no choice in the matter. They were essentially fucking concentration camps if we're just going to be. Yeah. about it
3: yeah anytime someone puts you
2: on a train nothing yeah you happens. don't yeah then they always say it's gonna be fine it's and it's never fine it's not gonna be fine no there's never somebody who pushes you onto a train without you wanting to go on a train there's never a time when that's going to be a fun end for you no like I love trains but I want to yeah. like I like the Amtrak and
3: I sit and I look at the beautiful
2: mountains and whatnot yeah you gaze out the window but you,
3: you I have, get on that train you myself. know
2: where you're going at the end of the train ride yeah. not usually like I wonder where this is going (laughs) to lead. So why did this happen again in the 1820s, you ask? Because they didn't need Mm. them as soldiers anymore against the British. Mm. Yay. So they basically had stopped fighting with the British, and they were using a lot of the indigenous people to fight the British. Yeah. And then as soon as they didn't need them for that anymore, they're like, "Okay, now let's make you more white. Let's do it. Yay, because we do nothing wrong. We're great at stuff. Um, so the efforts to bend them to the colony's whims kind of just resumed. So in the late 1800s, Canada's Department of Indian Affairs focused on "quote unquote" integrating children into Euro-Christian society, where they legit, like we were just talking about, plop them on trains and then try to make them change everything about themselves. So
3: oh no, I was imagining like someone doing that to us. You know what I mean? Like opposite day,
2: I I, I would hate it. It, I would hate it as well. Yeah, I wouldn't like it. Yeah, let's let's do opposite day and it, it, see how we would like that. <laughs> I would not like that. I don't know how to catch food and you cook it. I don't know. I don't know how to do it. With I don't it, know. You'd be made. Although I do, I do think a lot of the um, tribal clothing and like celebration clothing and stuff were pretty fucking cool. Is I, it very beautiful? I like to look at it. Yeah. But But I would be, like, for sure eaten by a wild animal. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. If I was, like, released into the woods. Again, there's bears and rapists out there. Oh, my God.
2: Now there are, especially, now that we moved in. (laughs) So I want to just read a a quick piece about what it felt like for for people at the time from the book Highway of Tears. So Tyler McCreary, detailing the history of colonial settlements on Wet'suwet'en lands around Smithers, pushed from their lands... First Nations people were forced to congregate in newly created reserves or on the fringes of the new northern settlement. When Wet'suwet'en families settled on the outskirts of town in what came to be known as Indian Town, local officials unsuccessfully implored the military, the RCMP, and Indian Affairs to remove them. This is in the 1920s. A public petition called for a ban on Indians or other colored folks owning property in Smithers. So they didn't want them to able to be full citizens, essentially. Mm-hmm. Businesses refused to serve them as patrons. Another petition called for First Nations and people of Asian descent for some reason, because I guess just throw Asians in there, to be barred from starting a business on Main Street. Oh, Asians helped build a lot of railroads. Yeah, and I don't, I guess had... I guess they were just like, yeah,
3: you too. No. <laughs> yeah, they had a big labor force in America that isn't really talked about a
2: whole lot. It's very interesting. Maybe we'll have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So they were they were trying to get them from being barred to be able to own a business. The hospital was segregated and the children were either channeled into residential schools or denied an education entirely. Those officially sanctioned barriers eventually came down, but the Witsuin people continued to face racism, discrimination, and unequal treatment at the hospital in schools and throughout settler society
3: and this is somebody back in the day writing this and if somebody back in the day said they were facing discrimination you know they were facing discrimination yeah yeah for sure because you know uh, times are changing yes I saw America's Next Top Model and that was only done 10 years ago and I was like whoa this would never fly today oh yeah I know, <laughs> so I know. Stuff I
2: going on. Ooh, you see some of the stuff Tyra was saying back then That's crazy oh, so this is the sort of attitude they were facing at the time where they wanted them to be integrated, but they also didn't want them to be integrated. So they were trying to force them into this other, instead of being in this other category, they wanted them to be the same as the Europeans, but also they didn't want them to have the same rights. Yeah. So that sucks. And then
3: wouldn't like, you know, deny them, like say you're hungry. I want to go and I want to get some pizza. And they
2: just deny you the pizza. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, fucking pizza is the best part about Western culture, (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's the best part of us. Dip it in some ranch? I don't care how trashy that is.
3: That's my (laughs) favorite. You don't dip
2: ranch, pizza, and ranch? I can't do ranch because I worked at Burger King when I was 16, and we used to get those pallets in of the sauces. Yeah. And the ranch packets... Whatever was in them would eat away at the glue no. and so half of them would be open and rotting. No. I still can't smell it to this day. It is mostly mayonnaise. That's what ranch yeah, is. I'm not a big mayo person.
3: Yeah, it's a
2: lot. It's a lot of white gooey. I I like other white gooes. Oh, give give me some sour cream, some cream cheese. I blue cheese? No, I don't like blue cheese either. I'm I got weird I got weird mouth. <laughs> I got a weird old mouth. You, got a weird, you don't like onions either, right? I hate onions. So nothing too pungent. I guess so. I like garlic and stuff like that, though. Garlic bread? Butter garlic bread? Oh, yeah. i fucking eat that okay. all day hey. until I die. <laughs> See, again, I could not cut it out in the wild. No. Because I'd be like, where is my garlic bread, <laughs> sir? <laughs> so this was a really long and arduous battle for Native people to be able to reclaim some of the land. The crown just took. There was land that had sort of handshake style agreements with the the native people Never trust a handshake. But it just sort of went away when they got outnumbered. So in this area of British Columbia, they didn't even really do a lot of land agreements. They sort of just went, Dibs. Yeah. We called Dibs
3: on it. I owned it. I put a little white flag on it. And then people that were native to that land were like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, right. And then I guess the person who put the flag on it did end up winning.
2: Yeah. And and the indigenous people were sort of left going okay what do you want us to do and they're like we don't know we're just going to be mad at you for 200 years yeah Yeah, Um, so the fact that they wanted them to be integrated but not integrated the idea of their version of reparations was taking place like I was just talking about people like wanting to own businesses and stuff but some way people didn't like it. They got paranoid, and they were given a lot of misinformation. And it is legitimately like a they her derbs situation.
3: Oh yeah. So
2: interesting. Oh,
3: so like give the misinformation. So it's like Facebook or something. Well, it's it's like, like yeah.
2: It's like, it's like Mark Zuckerberg has always been with us in different yeah. ways. But it was, it was sort of the idea of like, well, if they can have jobs, they want to come and just want to get rid of us, even though they were technically already on their land, you know, and they're like, well, they want to take back their land and we don't think it's okay. So this misinformation was really rampant. And so in the book, they go on to say, there was a lot of misinformation about what would happen during the treaty process this whole idea that you're going to lose your private land this was the rallying cry of the rednecks and i think i can say rednecks because i'm not a redneck but i identify as white trash All right. so i think that that's close enough remember that song i'm a redneck woman i ain't no high class broad kind of dun, 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 i'm a northerner so that Mm. maybe didn't get played as much for me well there's there's rednecks all over the place that's true you're right you're you're absolutely right i consider rednecks more of a southern thing because of isn't the rednecks come from the sun i think so maybe hillbillies are the northern or is that yeah middle america i think where i grew up it was more of a hillbilly situation Mm. but i think i can also connect with rednecks enough that i can say it and also the guy who is speaking in this book is himself a redneck so Mm. I will continue to say it. And of course, <laughs> so Bill, this man, Bill, uh, that was the rallying cry of the Rednecks. And of course, it was a bogus issue right from the beginning. It was never in any jeopardy. First Nations blockades were commonplace, and confrontation, sometimes violent, erupted. Tensions were growing in the Hazletons over native Indian blockades of roads preventing loggers from working in the valley, declared one newspaper story. Another recounted how a group of Kitwanga locals Aligned with logging interests Lit a First Nations blockade on fire Threw gas bombs And drove a truck into it While six people were inside Oh people are just there. There's a whole war going on I never even knew about Yeah so All of this is sort of leading up To what we're seeing now Mm -hmm. The connection Many of these missing kids and women Had direct parents Who had been victims Of the cultural genocide up there So Matilda Wilson's daughter Ramona was killed on Highway 16. She has talked about a lot, Ramona Wilson. Um, she's become a bit of a poster child for this movement. And matilda the mother herself was sent to a residential school and it haunted her family it doesn't just go away after you've gone through these terrible traumas yeah it's it, generations of change yeah it's just a cycle that keeps rolling down the hill that's two different things yeah it's a ball that rolls down the hill and gathers moss
3: yeah how you raise your children is how you were raised
2: it yeah and it all kind of like keeps stemming back and the pain and suffering of being abused for entire families, like, were ripped apart. Yeah. You don't just go into the next generation and go, like, well, I guess we'll figure it out. It's going to be fine. It'll be fine. I'll I'll raise him like a normal human being. When you were abused? No. Yeah. So this woman, Matilda Wilson, whose daughter, again, was killed on Highway 16 in uh, Highway of Tears book, Matilda was put on a train in Hazleton when she was five years old. She cried and cried. The conductor was a kindly man who tried to comfort her which is bullshit. He told the children that it would be okay. It wasn't. When they arrived at Lejac Residential School, an imposing three-story brick structure with a smattering of outbuildings on Highway 16 near the shores of Fraser Lake, staff took the kids' clothes, shaved their heads, and marched them into cold showers. Yeah, that is a genocide. Yeah. Matilda was assigned a number in place of her birth name. Oh my god. They were at Lejac to learn the white man's ways to have the savage within them extinguished, uh, which is so ironic because the savage within them extinguished by beating them. Okay, that that makes sense. You're behaving that way. They picked up English quickly because they were strapped or walloped if they were caught speaking their own language. The children were subjected to sexual abuse, beating, starvation, and neglect. Sometimes they tried to run away one winter four boys were found dead frozen out on the ice of a lake a few miles from their homes Matilda learned what hunger and loneliness and fear were at that school Mm. so no child should have to go through that no and back in Matilda's home her parents arthur and mary so they would have been the grandparents of the murdered girl ramona Mm -hmm. arthur and mary crumbled without their children alcohol filled the chasm left by the eastbound train when matilda returned home seven years later oh my god her parents tried to put their lives back together but it was never the same it did something to my mom and dad said matilda they got into alcohol really bad because they missed us so much it did something to all of us so their kids, all of their children were just taken from their house mm. and were gone for seven years. Matilda did not see her parents. Awful. It's just, un. it's unfathomable.
3: And people, they don't have much empathy for that. Like um, my mom, I do love my mom, but she doesn't have empathy. She yeah. said it herself. She's like, I had to learn it. I naturally did not have it. Oh, that's... That's unfortunate. Right. Now, so there's this woman who uh, I know who raised her son very horribly, and she, because she was abused, she was raped by her father and she became an alcoholic. Yeah. And my mom's like, I can't believe she's drinking. She's drunk again. And I'm like, Yeah, no shit. Her dad raped her. Yeah. I would be drunk too.
2: Yeah. Especially because even if people knew at the time, they wouldn't care. Like, they, there was nothing you could do if you went and said that to somebody. There's no therapy. No. And there's no, there was no recourse for that for a long... There still really isn't, but it's no. a little bit better. Therapy is very, very new. It's a new thing to, like, discuss your
3: feelings yeah. and have somebody be like, oh, your childhood really matters and, like, how you were raised
2: is effective how you are an adult. Yeah. Okay. It's all very new. Yes, for sure. And that's why when we talk about a lot of these criminals that we will on this show... I do have a, a sense of sympathy to an extent for some of them because a lot of them had next to no shot in life. But then you do these things, and you can't be a part of society anymore. It's just the way it goes, you can't ruin a bunch of people's lives, and then just be like, "I was sad." Yeah. <laughs> um, Oops. <laughs> yeah. So you know, we we talk. We're gonna talk about a lot of like reformative therapy and stuff like that throughout the this process. But for these people, the stereotype the specific stereotype that Native people are super prone to alcoholism, it's maybe more linked to the fact that they potentially are all very um, broken. And and I don't actually think all Native people are alcoholics, by any means, I don't want to make that clear, but that stereotype we've given them probably more connected to the fact that their families all got destroyed. Yeah, your family got
3: destroyed, your children were taken away, they were abused and tortured, your name is gone, your language is
2: gone, your land is gone. Can you just... I can't even... I can't even, like, really... Picture it: somebody just coming into your house and taking your kids, and then
3: and then that's that. And what are you going to do?
2: But and the people you report it to, they're the ones who took them. Yeah, you don't want to do that. You don't want to report it because you can't. Yeah. So by 1955, 18,000 First Nations children were in these mandatory assimilation schools. Though they were, by the 50s, they were more often day schools at that point than boarding schools. Regardless, they were often punished for speaking their own language or practicing their own spiritual rights. And that is spiritual abuse. And that's another thing we'll talk about a lot on this show. Trying to force somebody to change their spiritualism for your own needs is sick and gross. That is sick. Absolutely. So then we get, so, okay, by the 50s, a lot of these schools have sort of shut down or become more day schools. But then we get on to the next fun part, which is the Sixties Scoop. So by the Sixties, Native children were then integrated into public school. Not so much to make them just blend in with other kids, but because of money and trying to save money. Yeah. Sixties Scoop sounds like a dance, but I it bet does. it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. It does. It sounds like a, a cute little Do like Sixties Scoop. Or like a hairstyle.
3: boop boop yeah. It's not
2: though. No, these children were taken and put into public school and probably made fun of and ridiculed. Oh, it's even worse. Okay. Yay. Uh, The 60s scoop refers to a practice that occurred in Canada of taking or scooping up indigenous children from their families and communities for placement in foster homes or adoption. Despite the reference to this one decade, the 60s scoop began in the late 50s and persisted all the way into the 80s. It is estimated that a total of 20,000 Aboriginal children were taken from their families and fostered or adopted out to primarily white middle-class families as part of this 60s scoop. It was seen at the time as an alternative to outreach programs within indigenous communities. So instead of like providing social services or um, mental health treatment or drug treatment, they would just take the kids away. Mm -hmm. So if a parent was struggling, and this could be also financially and other things, not not just the idea of like, oh, well, the kids had to be taken because they slept in a doghouse outside and they weren't fed. It wasn't that most of the time. It was parents didn't have money. Maybe the mom had a drug problem, was a single mom, and the kids weren't being abused, but they didn't instead try to help the family get fixed, they just would take the children away. Yeah. And they would often never get the chance to get them back because you know, in the states and maybe in more predominantly white areas, like they try to like help you fight to get your kids back a lot of the time. And a lot of these families never even were their kids would disappear into the dark like they would just take them off and sometimes they would be transferred into american orphanages and the canadian and american orphanages didn't even have communication and record sharing so if your kid was taken to america good luck finding the kid yeah the name has changed the age has changed and that happened a lot like the kids would be separated within the each of their families too because a lot of times you can't adopt a bunch of kids at once so all the kids would get spread out I and mean, the siblings wouldn't even know how to talk to each other anymore Damn. they didn't know they couldn't find them so they would often so this whole 60 scoop thing has this entire weird element of it they would you know mostly be put in white homes across the board and they were often abused mistreated and conditioned to be servants or sometimes like pets and it's really it's heart-wrenching because they were sort of adopted out in that way almost they were like put on commercials there's these really crazy commercials so the way that they would promote the idea of like adopting these kids it was like inhuman a little bit it oh, was like a pet like a toy yeah they would say christmas you know, puppy beautiful eyes likes to smile nothing really about the it, it but was that's what they say at petco like right when, was, I'm, when i'm looking for cats and it, they're like this is shelby she likes to purr she likes to sleep most of the day yeah and they were objectified yeah yeah and you hear a lot of these women specifically but also guys i mean it was happening both boys and girls but um on the, the cbc podcast finding cleo you hear from one woman who went through the 60s scoop and it's sickening because The parents they got put into, the houses they got put into, it would be, she said her mother, her adopted mother, said she adopted her because it would take too long to get a white baby. (gasps) And then she said to this child, also, we won't ever have to pay for your education, so it will cost less to have you. Whoa. So essentially just saying... You'll never be able to, like, you're not going to get into college. It's not like you're going to go to school or something. But the
3: government would pay for
2: it, right? No, that, like, she was too stupid and... Oh, my God. ...to have to worry. Like, you'll never have to worry about getting an education. You'll just go be, like, a maid or something. So, I mean, just... And this woman's, like, in tears. This is the woman who was basically her mother from, you know, a young age. And this is the way they treated them Mm. in this scoop situation. So it's like, it goes from the missionaries all the way back in the 1600s, all the way up to these residential schools, all the way into the 60s scoop. And that, you know, that's the the chain that makes all of this sort of racism up there current, still happening.
1: Do you ever meet someone who seems kind of off? Whether it's a creepy neighbor or random phone number that keeps calling you. Truthfinder has you covered. You can search for people by name, address, phone number, email, and more. Truthfinder can be especially helpful for running confidential background checks on anyone you're planning to meet from online dating apps. Go to truthfinder.com slash podcasts for a special offer. That's truthfinder.com slash podcasts to access your special offer today.
2: And then another part, the element that is a big problem is the police. Mm. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. There you go. So that to this day, the indigenous community is over policed and underprotected in that area. And in, that's not a surprise coming from the fact that a couple decades ago they were trying to prevent them from being able to own businesses or you know, be full citizens. So this racism just continues. Not only that, but much like in the states, there is a problem with holding police responsible. And I'm not saying this as a slight on the officers. I'm not saying like all police are trash. I understand how people can feel that way right now.
3: But on the side of their car, it says to protect and serve.
2: Right. And are they doing that for these community? Right. And my issue comes more than anything within the institution itself, which does not really regulate or manage cops. They have almost a free go at whatever they want to do. And when that happens, you're... Drawing in the wrong people, the and people who like want power with unchecked power, essentially. Yeah. And I've seen some videos of police stations and they don't look nice.
3: Like the, the no. cops themselves are sitting in squalor. A lot of the case files, which are really private information, are just kind of out. Yeah. Like anybody can go and pick it up. They're
2: not treated very well. So why would they like, why would they want to yeah. act nice? It's all the system is, it needs a complete overhaul. And apparently in Canada, it's not any better. Yeah. And that's my, that's, you know, my main issue is that. Like, we need to have people who want to be in that job for the right reason. Mm-hmm. So, in this thing, uh, this uh, study called the Cedar Project, which studied indigenous youth drug use, reported 14% who had police interaction were physically beat up by the cops. Mm. In Prince George alone, 4% of the kids who interacted with cops reported being straight up r by the cops. Oh, my kids, God. Like, minors. Really?
3: Yeah. And, um, like, again, who are you going
2: to report that to? Yeah. these are the people that you report it to. And especially in such an isolated area, because you can usually go to, oh, maybe if you have all the time and money in the world you could go to a like higher up institution to try to fight that out there you ain't got nobody no but those local cops just you and the wind it really is all you gotta do you gotta ask the wind to blow them away into another town that's your only hope that's it this is like women in the military it's like that problem it's
3: like who you're gonna report it to when the person you report it to
2: is R'ing you yep Yeah, yeah yeah we're getting a lot of that here and There also is the problem, like the courts tend to respond, and this is also from Highway of Tears, the courts tends to respond to indigenous girls as though it is inevitable they will end up becoming criminal drug, alcohol, addicted, or seriously ill on the street, and that their lives may only be salvaged through the harsh treatment of the criminal law. So the Native Women's Association of Canada noted that it is common for Indigenous women to enter the youth criminal justice system for minor offenses, public disturbance, shoplifting, a minor aggression, and end up in prison for subsequent administrative offenses, breaching bail or probation conditions, or failing to appear in court. So essentially, they're getting put into juvie in these really harsh conditions for shit that I definitely did as a kid. Like stealing gum. Yeah, or being shitty to authority figure.
1: Yeah,
3: and then you put them in this like really hard, like extra harsh condition and it teaches
2: you to behave a certain way. Yep. And then so, boom, you do something that's gonna land you in prison forever. And it is same as in the States. Then when you end up having to pay all these court fines and stuff, and if you're not able to do these things, and you can't yeah. get around, there's then, a lot of people in prison just because they can't afford yeah. to pay for a court fine. Well, yeah, there's been a study. I forget how many people, but people who haven't been tried guilty, there's been so many people in jail who've died of COVID <gasps> in jail while awaiting trial. Oh who my weren't god, or even like sentenced. They were just in the wrong place, wrong time. Picked and, up, yeah, didn't do nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so fucked, man. So it just basically sets them up to fail. We punish people for being poor for a, a fucking sure in this country and in yeah. Canada it seems like we punish people for being poor. Get a ticket, can't pay it. Yeah, you then bigger then, to go yeah. to jail. Or like your, your bank overdrafts, you start to owe them, you go into the negative, go further 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 into the negative and then you're completely screwed. Yeah. So the terms of probation are often so unrealistic that they set girls up to fail. They have been cases where girls went into custody on one charge at 13 only to be released on impossible conditions and picked up time and time again for breaches.
3: Yeah, and especially the young girl, of course you're gonna get in trouble if you're also sexually
2: abused by people in power. You're not gonna trust people in power. No, why would you? I'm, I'm just a little basic bitch white girl and I've had terrible interactions with authority figures. Like that's why those sorts of jobs, like police officers should be protected. Same with politicians, you should be, to coming from a place of service not yeah. looking for power and that's what we have to really work on as a society is changing that but um, so given few opportunities they're looked down upon for no reason these underage girls and young women sometimes turn to drugs and prostitution also very limited job opportunities so their communities yeah. are so insulated that if there are villains in place they literally have nowhere to turn and not shockingly authority unchecked draws sick fucking people let's enter here When they don't have anybody to turn to, we get to people like Judge David William Ramsey. On the surface, he was a stand-up guy, celebrated in his community, and sat on boards for children and women's shelter. He was appointed a judge in 91. In his spare time, however, he prowled the indigenous community and would pick up girls for prostitution only to beat them for sex acts on them. They didn't agree to rape little girls as young as 12 and then threatened to kill them if they spoke up. David William Ramsey, a judge, no less. Yeah, so it was a known secret. He was essentially their boogeyman in Prince George for over a decade. Social workers and lawyers knew it was happening, but the girls were too afraid to say anything, understandably. Sometimes after he would rape them, they would have to stand in his court for unrelated offenses and have to deal with him raining judgment down upon them after he was like straight up their like assault. Yeah, can you imagine getting
3: raped by him, and then you steal a pack of bubblegum, so you go before court, but the bubblegum, and the guy
2: doing the gavel thing brutally raped you, and he's sentencing you? Go fuck! I would go on a stabbing I would have two knives in my hand, and I would just spin in circles. That's how I would feel. Be like, I'll just get, I'll cut everything down. I'll cut all the trees down. I'll cut this court down with my knives. Blow it all up. So... It was not until 2002 when a totally badass fucking woman finally said, you know what, I'm calling him out. The only reason she did was because she found out Ramsey would be presiding over a custody case involving her son and she just couldn't take it. Yeah. So he was eventually charged. However, it was only for seven years, fewer seven years in prison, fewer years than he had been terrorizing the community. But very fortunately, he died in prison in 2008 of cancer. Yay. He was about to get out, too. Really? Yeah, he was, I think, had a year left. That's just the universe being like, nope. Yeah, I, thankfully, yeah, he got cancer because the justice system didn't do their job. Um, he wasn't the only one, too. Like, And also, this guy, this guy, Judge David William Ramsey, if you want to talk about preferential treatment and special treatment and act like it doesn't exist, this is here. This is happening here. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. He got off way more than most people would for that. He wasn't the only one either. There were regular allegations of police officers being creeps and scumbags, which led to the police investigating the police, which led to nothing, of course, because it's just, again, a small group of local cops. Yeah. And it would take somebody, if they're being left without anybody monitoring what they're doing, it would take like a really... Incredible human being to actually Stop them a lot of people would just sort of look The other direction which is just as bad As fucking doing it if you ask me That's bad I remember in New York years ago um,
3: I was much younger And like a few times cops would stop And like chat and flirt and it made me feel really uncomfortable because i couldn't leave like they were a normal dude and i was telling this story to another guy and he's a nice guy whom i was telling it to but he was like that's why you gotta flirt back you know you gotta flirt and i'm like no oh god no
2: fuck off with that shit i remember when i was about 19 or 20 i remember two cops cornered me Tell like laughing, talking about how they wanted my phone number, Mm. or like they would have to write me up and stuff.
3: Yeah, because what are you going to do? Be like, no. And then. I've told men no at a bar before when they asked for my number and they straight up called me a bitch and like threatened to kill me. Oh, yeah, for sure. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. With with like normal guys. Now imagine this guy has a gun and some power and can throw
2: me in jail for saying no. Yeah. It's happened. Yeah, a lot up here. And that's one of the many, many problems on Highway 16. There's no oversight. There's no resources. There's no safety net for these women don't we want a policing system that involves people not getting away with rampant child abuse? Don't we, like, don't most human beings want to have cops who can't just molest kids? Yeah, I think it also takes different kinds of cops, like women
3: cops, trans cops, black, white cops, Asian cops. Like, you need lots of different folks
2: and different experiences in there. Yeah, and there's also a lot about busing cops into neighborhoods causes a lot of problems. So even in these areas where this police force is really small they're still driving and if they're from smithers which is one of the middle towns they might be driving down to one of the towns that's you know four hours away on the highway this stretch between port rupert and port george it's about like a seven and a half hour drive from end to end so this is the width of the the land we're talking about so within these little pockets of towns the cops are kind of jumping in between them and so they don't know a lot of these people either and they don't care to know that they
3: don't know how the community runs and they just go and just arrest these random people and cops in that village are like what are you doing arresting george she's always
2: hanging out by the Seven Eleven, right there's been a lot of studies to show that if the cops know the people they're less likely to treat them like garbage yeah <laughs> which i guess good you could just also not treat people like garbage in general that would be cool uh So the very last issue we're going to talk about today, and then we'll get into some of the cases next episode, is the issue of hitchhiking. Mm, Because they got to, because a lot of people are so poor they can't afford cars. I've hitchhiked before. Oh, my God, really? I've been been too scared to ever do that. I
3: I was with a girl, and it was her idea. Her name is Sally Ann. She has children now, one of the wildest (laughs) women I've met, but her car broke down. She's like, let's just hitchhike. Oh, my God. How did you, who who got, who hitched you? Just people I'd never met. And it's weird, like even in these small
2: towns, there's always people you, you're you like, oh, you live here? I've never seen you before. Yeah, wait, so your personal situation ended up, you were okay at the end? I was okay at the end, they That's dropped good. us off, it was fine. So that is, you know, probably up here, the case about 80% of the time, why do people do it? Well, like you just said, most of the towns, there's simply no other options. Yeah. Public transport barely exists. No buses. People don't often make enough money to own their own car. Um There's there, no job to get a car. No, and if you do have a job, it's it pays next to nothing. And there's no resources for you. So because the towns are all so familiar with one another, hitching was and is basically part of the culture there for better or worse. It's not the people aren't excited about it. It's frowned upon. But people, women do it all the time. They have to, like, if they want to go to the doctor, sometimes they have to just take a hitchhike because there's no option.
3: You have to go get groceries. You have to get milk. And I I know we have, you know, you can have a farm, sure. But, like, can you
2: grow everything on the farm, really? It shouldn't be a thing where if you want to be safe, you can't leave your farm ever. That's fucked up. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, a lot of times, often in these stories that I'm reading, you, you sometimes you just wander down one of the main streets in town until you kind of like, oh, you saw somebody you know in one of those cars and ask if you can get a lift over there. It's sort of just like a, a ride share, but then you go into, if I need to go from this town to the next town over, it's an hour away, I need to get into somebody's car. So that happens all the time. And you know, a lot of the times it is just somebody just dropping you off. But yeah. then because that is part of the culture, really fucking gross people take advantage of that. And there are, we'll get into these stories, but there have been multiple serial killers up there and there's still a bunch of unsolved ones. So it was only just in the year of our Lord, 2017, A finally a partial bus system was put up. It only runs on alternate days, but it began to operate to drive between the towns on 16 and it's still barely it it was something they had to fight for for decades and there's still not really a bus system and that is one of the things that needs very much needs addressed there needs to be more public transportation up there and i guess we got to figure out why they can't get it Is it because it's a four hour long bus trip, or does nobody, or people find it dangerous to drive around there? No, I think they don't have the funding. I think there's just not the funding and the the concern for them, but it's slowly, it's slowly being more recognized. Um, And we'll get into what is being done a little bit next episode. I'm going to leave them off there. But, uh, you know, I want to say don't hitchhike, but up there, sometimes you got to do it because there's no choice. Yeah. But, if you're not in that situation please don't hitchhike yeah to all of you out there
3: to all of you like ladies boys everybody ladies boys don't hitchhike because they can just take you what are you gonna do yeah fuck the just you can't do it man it's it's a shame that um you look at old videos i don't know what it is but people used to be way more trustworthy like you used to be able to drive up to the white house can you imagine doing that today Just driving your little
2: car right up on the White House lawn? No, but I will add a caveat to that. It maybe was somewhat people were more safe, but I also think it's just that, like, there were more things that were considered crimes, Mm. like rape. (laughs) Like, they just weren't, like... If you were molested as a kid, it just wasn't a crime. You just, like...
3: Yeah, I know a lot of people, like, you know when you're young and then you get old enough to know the family secrets? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that were, like, raped and molested. that At the time, people were like, oh, that's bad. But again, there was no therapy, so mm-hmm. they were just like, oh, that happened. Why are they acting out yeah. as a young adult? That's crazy. They shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. They're a bad
2: person for doing that. In a lot, a lot of those situations, the answer would be to just and you know you maybe can speak to this at some point but would just be to not talk about it not want to yes yeah, sweep it under the rug yeah yeah and and just stoic it, like rather than deal with the person doing the thing just just don't think about it anymore yeah and then they'll stop hopefully and then the person just keeps a <laughs> yeah. raping. everybody knows once you molest once you never molest again that's the old saying so, we're going to be finished today. Uh, and next week, we'll be back with the conclusion of the Highway of Tears story. And we'll talk about some of the people and what's being done in the future. Uh, thanks for joining us. You can follow me at uh, the Natty Jean on Instagram and someplace underneath on Instagram and TikTok. And Amber. Hi, Amber Smelson on all the platforms.
3: I got my cooking show once a week. I also got my Friday nights where I stay up and have a drink with you guys on YouTube at 7 o'clock. Ooh. Yeah. All right. That sounds fun. Yeah. Every Friday at 7, L.A. time, I just chat, and then people join in the chat. It's very, you know, come and go as you
2: please. Say hello. It's almost like when you used to be able to just have friends and parties. Yes. Wow. Yes. (laughs) Cool. Okay, well, I uh, hope to catch you guys next time and visit, visit Amber on all of her cool shit and watch her cook some stuff. Thank you. All right. Peace.
0: This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.